This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people. I think art and creativity and culture make the world go around, and I love to talk to people that are doing it. Uh, today, my guest is Ryan Raftery. He is the writer and star of a show called Mother of the Year, the Chris Jenner musical. It is a Chris Jenner musical, and it's the latest in his series of musicals about people like Ivanka Trump, Andy Cohen, Martha Stewart, Anna Wintour, Chris Jenner, who we just said, Calvin Klein, Andy Warhol. He's created this sort of format where he does these cabaret-type musicals, but they really have a storyline. They take you on a journey. His latest is Chris Jenner, and uh, he did it in New York, and he's going to be doing it in Los Angeles on October 19th and 20th at the Bourbon Room in Hollywood. I watched some clips online, and I just went into a deep dive of all his stuff. It's so brilliant. He's a great singer, but the wordplay and the lyrics, it's so smart. It's so incisive, it's edgy, but it's got heart. I don't know. I'm really obsessed with him. And I was so excited I got to talk to him for this podcast. So before we get to that, I want to let you know that this podcast, Dennis Anyone, is brought to you by the new film, The Kill Room. No, it's not. I don't have any sponsors, but I wanted to mention The Kill Room because it is directed by Nicole Payone, who has been on this podcast twice before. It stars Uma Thurman and Samuel L. Jackson, and uh, I haven't gotten to see it yet, but I'm definitely going to. And I love that somebody from this podcast has got this great movie out there. So check it out. Also, I want to let you know that if you like this podcast, there are two ways you can support it. You can go to DennisAnyone.net and donate to my virtual tip jar, help me cover my expenses, or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. That's a group of shows that I'm part of. You pay a monthly subscription rate and you get my show early and you get all these other great shows and you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com i want to mention also that i have a voicemail that you can leave a message about the show if you have a question anything like that if you have a story related to like the observation deck questions that we sometimes do you can leave a voicemail and maybe i'll play it on one of the episodes that number is 1-888-647-9653 all right that's enough of the housekeeping business let's get to the interview this is ryan raftery Joining me from Manhattan, it is Ryan Raftery, the writer and star of Mother of the Year, the Chris Jenner musical, which I can't wait to see. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dennis. Thanks for having me on. Um, I had not, I don't live in New York, so I haven't um, uh, seen your shows before, but they're right at my alley. So I did a deep dive into you on YouTube, and it was just like clip after clip. I'm in a coffee house and headphones, and I'm just like laughing. But also, you kind of get at the. The truth of these people that you do, like, like the Ivanka Trump musical, I was like, I felt it. Like she's in, she's not where she wants to be in this world. <laughs> and oh, so, I mean, thank you for saying that. Yeah, your stuff is funny. It has depth. The music is amazing. So, talk to me first about this project, the Chris Jenner musical, Mother of the Year. What made you want to take her on? Well, the people that I write shows about, I have to spend a long time with them. Um, I usually research for like about nine months, depending on who the person is. Like certain people require more research than others, but um, I I have to be interested in them. I don't necessarily have to like them. I do like Chris, though. I have a lot of respect for her, but there has to be a fascination there. There has to be an intense interest Otherwise, I mean, why would I choose it? I mean, no one's forcing me to do these shows. So I always choose people that really interest me and people who most of the time I choose people who have changed the way we see the world or who have been affected. Like the Ivanka Trump show. I mean, I don't think she's done anything to um, change the way we see the world. But what fascinated me about Ivanka is that she could have been a hero. There was there were a lot of people looking to her at the outset of that administration saying, no, 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 she's never going to, she'll be the voice of reason there. She's, she's like us. She's one of us. She is one of us. She's cool. She grew up in Manhattan. Um, you know, she must have a lot of gay friends, but I mean, she turned very, very quickly into something we probably were terrified of. And it absolutely happened. And I love the fact that she was getting shunned by people when she was taking her flights from New York to Palm beach on jet blue. And, um, yeah, and, and, and there, the number that you likely watched on YouTube is the song that she sings after she gets kicked out of Bergdorf Goodman. They won't let her shop there anymore. And she's like, all I ever wanted was to be a New York City society girl. I didn't ask for any of this. None of us wanted any of this. <clears throat> and it's, um, and that's, that's the sad 
thing about Ivanka is that there was a massive disappointment there with her because we thought she would be the voice of reason and she wasn't. And she was not. And the song that I think you wrote that song to is part of your world, right? From Little Mermaid. So it it has that longing and what's that word again? And like, it's so funny. You're Thank par- you. And, and I get I get asked all the time, why don't you um, work with a composer and do original music? And that would be easier to do to bring these shows to the quote unquote next level. It would be easier because I've been, you know, I've, I've been approached by production companies many times to maybe like do a larger show or maybe film it. But once you do that, you have to you have to deal with clearances of all these songs that I use. And that does become a bit of a summing block. It is not impossible, as we have seen with many other jukebox musicals. And I change all the lyrics to um, the songs that I use. But when you use a song like in that instance with part of your world, yes, like everybody knows the intent behind that song. It's the I want song. It's the I want song. One of the best I want songs. Alan Menken and Ford Ashman wrote some of the best there are, but because you know, the intent behind the song and because you know that, what do you call them? Oh, feet. And in my, my song, it's all, what do you call them? Oh, jobs. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) it becomes, becomes like a, it becomes a double joke. It's like putting a hat on a hat, but in a funny way. It's a shorthand that adds to the humor. Um, there was another song on your YouTube that was just you singing as yourself. Uh, it was a parody of the edge of glory and it was about a gay guy being with a guy that can't come and the edge, it's all about edge, right? It, if you wrote that just without the Lady Gaga song, it's not as funny. Um, Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's why, I, that's why um, you know, I, I, there are people who come to the shows who don't know all of the songs, but I always pepper, there's always, um, there's always some Gaga in there. There's always some Beyonce or Taylor Swift, because those are just artists that have influenced me. But there's also always musical theater in there because of the storytelling aspect that really speaks to me. And when I'm listening to music, when I'm thinking about what songs to use in the particular shows, some songs immediately just jump out to me as, oh, that could be funny for that moment. Or, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm some twisted kind of genius, but I mean, sometimes songs just suggest themselves to me when I'm just listening to them. I immediately think of uh, a parody lyric in the moment and then I'll go back and work on it, you know, and make it happen. What is a parody lyric, just a phrase that you're particularly proud of the wordplay of, or you're just like, you knocked it out of the park. I will go first because I was thinking about this the other day. I used to write parodies with my friends in college and stuff. And uh, this is way back in the day, but we did a parody of Bananarama's Venus. I'm your Venus. I'm about lesbianism. And of course, the the hook was penis. And this is the lyric. I'm very proud of this. Sondheim, if you're listening, don't want penis. Weave vaginas. They suit just fine us. Weaves like W-E apostrophe V-E. W-E apostrophe V-E. I mean, and it just flows right off the top. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, whenever I hear that song, I'm like, you know what? That was solid. I know it was a long time ago, but I stand by that lyric. I stand Good by that lyric. Thank you. Thank you. You can, you're welcome to run with that at karaoke or whatever. Like, we don't own it, but I'm proud of it. I, I want to just, um, this was just a chance to brag about that. But are, is there one where you're like, you know what? That was inspired. So for, the one that comes to mind is, um, you know, that song from Moana, How Far I'll Go? Yeah. The I Want song in the Martha Stewart musical was called um, How How Much I Know instead of How Far I'll Go about being this like preternaturally talented young woman which she knows everything about um, you know, home economics and everything and, um, study hard, wait, study hard, study hard, disregard that I come from New Jersey. I'm a Polish girl in an Ivy league world. Assume an air that I really belong there. And believe me, it's in the way I sell. If I can model clothes, I can fool all those snotty girls and the pearls and never tried to include me. I swear someday I'll find my way, live a life, be a wife, and no longer elude me. And it's like, Whoa, look how much I know. I love that lyric. So many internal rhymes. Like you, you have to hit the, that at the, and then the payoff like so good it's a lot of fun and and it's a lot of fun when you um uh when you do a song that you really like that's a challenging wordplay like in the chris jenner show there's a parody of the bare naked lady song one week i know i watched it it on youtube and it's like those lyrics are so fast and furious and i will i mean would you like me to do it right now if you want to it's that 
yeah. Gather around, I'll tell you what's up. So try to keep up. I'll show you how we, uh, by the way, if you're listeners, this is the song where Chris Jenner explains to the audience how she keeps her family's name in the papers every day. Right. And she goes, gather around, I'll tell you what's up. So try to keep up. I'll show you how we hold your influence. Uh, you love our show, but we know audiences come and go. We need to keep the faces on the board to think of Pinterest. How do we do it well without fits? By selling lip kits and a wedding every four years. Long ago, I sold some candles. Now I sell scandals with information that I volunteer. Give the paps a call and tell them all the malls where we're heading. Then pretend to act surprised by all the cameras. You know, to keep watching me Kardashian and selling shit. You've gotten used to just a steaming pile of glamour. Do you remember Kim got burgled back in Paris, France? Heard the news, not gonna lie, did a happy dance. It was then I was reminded of the dictum of how we love stars even more when they're victims. People say it's sad, about I need attention. I got, I faked COVID, you get into page six. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And I'll tell you one thing, like that song in the show is a mashup with um, One Week and then Nine to Five by Dolly Parton. Right. And originally they were two different songs and then we mashed them together because I did not want to have to write another verse. Um, <laughs> because it was it was so much work. And then it actually was one of those really great little accidents where it became it became a way better number because um, nine to five is uh, instead of instead of nine to five, it's kids for sale. Yeah. Where Chris is really starting to like whore out all the kids and make them all start working and make money. And then the one week number was all, you know, it just made sense to put them together. And it was a happy accident. I love it. What surprised you about Chris in your research? What surprised me about, about Chris is that she really, um, created this empire, not because she had any intention to do it, because she had to do it. When she, um, married Robert Kardashian, she thought her life was set. She married a rich man. Yep. And Robert, Robert Kardashian had pretty backwards ideas of how women should act. He wanted, he used to give her tapes to listen to back wow. in the eighties, give her cassette tapes on like how to entertain, um, you know, how to be a good housewife. And Chris was happy to do it because she was, you know, going shopping on Rodeo Drive and having lunch with her friends every day yep. and was living the Beverly Hills lifestyle. Long story short, they got divorced and Chris was all of a sudden, um, she had four kids and she was like, I don't know what I'm going to do for money. Like I, cause Robert Kardashian was fighting, giving her child support because she cheated on him, blah, 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 blah. Um, she moved into like an apartment. It was not the life she ever expected for herself. She was down on her, down, down in the dumps and a friend introduced her. I'm not going to dead name her, uh, uh, her. I'm going to call her Caitlin. Um, and she was introduced to Caitlin through a common friend and they hit it off and they got married. But Caitlin didn't have any money. Caitlin was far from the Olympic star that right. she was in the seventies and really down on her luck and had no money and had many children of her own from another, from a previous marriage. So when they started living together, Chris was like, what are we going to do for money? Chris has, Chris has said they had less than $500 in the bank at one point where she realized, wait a second, where's your gold medal? And he goes, oh, it's she, excuse me. She goes, oh, it's in um, the desk over there. And, and Chris said, why is your gold medal in a desk? Why don't we frame it and put it on the wall? And Chris got an idea. She goes, we can bank on that. We can capitalize on that. And Chris hired an assistant and got down on the floor of their apartment, created press kits, and sent them out to lecturing um, services and agencies all over the country saying, how would you like Caitlyn Jenner to um, give speeches at your conventions? And Caitlin went out on the lecturing circuit and started making a lot of money. And what Chris was doing was preparing for, right. when, the, for when preparedness met opportunity and she was able to do something with her kids. And she had a daughter who was very, very, very interested in being famous, did not have any marketable qualities. And then when the sex tape happened, Chris was like, this is my opportunity. Paris Hilton was the prototype and Paris Hilton got a lot of crap for it and was not celebrated for it in the way that people are almost celebrated for it today. There were, she was shamed publicly. She went to jail for a DUI, then went on David Letterman, and David Letterman made fun of her. Paris Hilton had to take a lot of the licks, pun intended, that um, <laughs> that, that Chris, that Kim Kardashian um, reaped the benefits from. And I mean, Paris is a very successful woman in her own right. But the amount of cultural relevancy that the Kardashians have been able to generate comes directly from Kris Jenner. And that is why I think she is fascinating. And I know a lot of your listeners might laugh at this, but I think that she belongs on the list of brilliant marketing minds of our of all time, like Steve Jobs, David Ogilvy, Henry Ford, P.T. Barnum. 
she is she has changed the way that we see the world and she has she has reprioritized things that maybe should not be prioritized or may or but she has certainly given girls all over the world kind of um the idea that you don't you can fake it until you make it and you don't necessarily need to have it's like traditionally marketable qualities to be famous or rich which all of her children individually are thanks to her yeah I used to be a writer on Fashion Police, uh, 2012, oh, 2013, 2010 to 2013. I so, love George Katsiopoulos. He's coming yeah. to the show. Is he? I really enjoyed working with George. Um, yeah. So the Kardashians were always in the air, and occasionally they would come on and guest. Chloe did. Chris Jenner, <laughs> Chris Jenner came on once for the Halloween episode as a guest host. I don't know who was gone, but she dressed as the guy that did Gangnam Style. The, <laughs> That oh was her God, costume. <laughs> yes, that was her costume, which is so like that was only 10 years ago, but like probably not happened today. But my feeling being around E and being around that world was that they were pros. Like they weren't thought of as like, oh, they're coming. They were like pretty pleasant to work with. Like yeah. they and I got the feeling from Kardashian world that that was true. Like they were they were not divas all the time and they weren't a nightmare. They were like making television and they kind of knew the drill. Um, and so I don't dislike them. I kind of, my hat's kind of off and, um, especially her and how they, how they all worked it. I do remember when we would always get notes that we couldn't do too many jokes about the Kardashians because they were on the network. Right. Right. And (laughs) that's funny. Here's my favorite Kim Kardashian joke that I ever wrote. We did a special about her marriage to Chris Humphrey and like, which didn't last very long. And there was one picture of her like sitting alone, like before the wedding and I'm like, oh, here's Kim when she took a moment to collect her thought, um, which I think is still solid. Uh, she only had one thought to collect. And it's important That's to do funny. that before a wedding. But I, I thought they were kind of savvy and they, they delivered when they were on the show. At least this is my memory. Like they knew what they were doing. Every single person I talked to about them, nobody had anything bad to say. Everybody said they show up on time. They're nice to everybody on set. Yep. They're, they're polite. And, and that's, I mean, I think that's a real testament to their parenting. Like say what you want about the fact that Chris put Kylie and Kendall on television at such a young age and let Kylie like um, swing around on a stripper pole that Chris had installed in her bedroom on national television. You can make, you can, you can make all the jokes you want about that. But they genuinely seem to care about each other, and they seem to be good parents. All, all of them, except Kendall now, are um, parents, and they seem to do a good job. They seem to – I don't know what these children – the children of the of Chris's kids, I don't know what they're going to be like when they grow up because they're growing up in an, an insane atmosphere now. Like the, the, the family business is attention. Yeah. Like that is, that is the world's most – Highly addictive drug. When you are getting that much kind of attention, it is not sustainable. Carrie Fisher had the greatest quote ever where she said, celebrity is obscurity biding its time. There is no (laughs) way, there is no way this can be sustained. And here we are. The show started in 2007. So we, this has been a long time. So you could say maybe they can do this forever. And that is what my show is about. This is my show is about Chris wanting to have more kids and she can't because she's 67 years old. So she goes to Laos for an experimental fertility treatment that goes wrong, leaves her with amnesia. She's forced to stay in Laos to be reeducated about who she is. And while the Chris with amnesia learns who she really is, she's grossed out by it. And then when she finds out, whoops, the fertility treatment actually worked and you're pregnant with a girl. She says, I don't want to have a baby. I'm going to, I'm going to abort this baby. When she goes back to America, she finds out that while she was in Laos, Roe v. Wade has been overturned and she decides to use her family's 1.2 billion Instagram followers to um, get Roe v. Wade reinstated. Wow. So you take us on a plot journey. There's a, there's a plot. It's not just a series of songs. There's a, there's a journey we go on. There is an entire journey that we go on, and it's it's a musical. It is an absolute, like, fully scripted musical. And yes, I am in drag. Yes, there is uh, an element of comedy to it and fantasy, but there is a real story there. And there's a, a kind of deep dive into what this means for our society and what Chris has got, what Chris has done, what the kingmaker that she is, the queenmaker, whatever you want to call her. But, like, this is... 
this is strategy. This is not by accident. And the fact that we live in an age where AI and deep fakes, we have no idea what we're looking at is real anymore. So now the, the latest um, controversy to come out of the Kardashian sphere is Kim and Courtney are having this huge fight that people on the internet are split team Kim or team Courtney. Is this real? Like, are they really fighting? Are they, are they acting? We have no idea, but we're invested in it. And there, and I, and it's, if you're a, a smart kind of person, you sit, you sit there going, why am I watching this? Yeah. And it's like having your brain stroked to a low grade orgasm because you're just like, you're watching these beautiful people in insanely lavish surroundings. Like their homes are just, everything is just, is so over the top. But yet they're a family that's very close to each other. And I think that's what we connect to. If we're maybe we're not as close as we want to be with our families and we like watching that or we 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 must see something in ourselves that we want in these shows, because there's only two reasons right why reality shows really succeed. And it's either aspirational or it's making you feel better about yourself. It is the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or it is. Look, here, here comes Honey Boo Boo. Yeah. A friend of mine compared the Kardashians to the Brady Bunch of this era where you kind of wanted to be, you know, for all their things that we make fun of, they stick together. They're there for each other. They stick together. And I think there's something powerful about that. They've also sort of changed what's considered beautiful. They've opened things up, interracial relationships, um, things about like, you know, slut shaming, like a lot of things that they've sort of challenged and kind of just glided into these things. But I think they've sort of changed perceptions. And Kim, especially Kim, doesn't seem to break a sweat. She never seems to break a sweat. I'm kind of, well, I'm kind of in awe of her, but she must. But she, she never seems to, right? Even when they're working out, when they're filming them, like in the gym. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. There's a line. There's a line in my in my show that I that I didn't realize was that funny, but it gets a huge laugh every night. Where Chris is giving advice. She says, she always, uh, in the show, she says to all those young women out there seeking advice on how to make it in the world, the face that God gave you, take that as a light suggestion. (laughs) That's a great, that's a great line. Well, the other thing is they don't look the same from season to season. I'm like, I saw Khloe Kardashian and I was like, who is that? And then Tori Spelling got Khloe Kardashian's head. And then that was another level. Like it's, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, it is a whole thing, and it's dangerous because girls all over the world look at it and they want to look like that, and it's not natural. And whether or not they admit it or not, it's not. It's not all natural. These were these are all beautiful girls to begin with, but Chloe was always the quote unquote big one. So it makes perfect sense that she's done this to herself, where she is now so thin because, and she's talked about it on the show. She was always thought of, oh, you're. You're, you're, you were adopted. You're OJ's daughter. Like that was all, all these things were, were talked about in the show. And when you're growing up and you have two sisters who are always telling you you're fat, how does that not affect your psyche? And if you look at Khloe Kardashian's body now, her body is dying to be bigger than that. So the <laughs> amount of work that goes into it. And I say, I say bravo because they, they are so committed. To their images, like Kim talks about all the time. She's like, I am constantly getting lasers and this and that and the other thing. But I get it. Your your currency is your attractiveness. Yeah. And so that's why this is going to be interesting to watch play out. Because, again, this is not sustainable for lots of different ways. Chris looks incredible. Chris is going to be 68 next month. And, you know, Chris has been open. She's had two facelifts and lots of things done. And that's okay. If you want to do that and the, the science exists for you to change something that you look in the mirror and you don't like it. But I think that the lack of honesty around it is kind of dangerous. But that's not what my show is about. My show is I'm a clown and I'm just trying to say something smart in the context of something very funny, hopefully. Yeah. Well, there are layers to your work. I could tell that from just watching the, the YouTube clips that are up there from the different shows. I have been writing uh, podcasts about well-known people like James Baldwin, or I did a whole four season arc on Jessica Simpson. So I do deep dives into these people and there's always something about each one that I take with me. Like, Oh, I I need, I want to be more like this or a certain like motto or a way of life. Is there something about Chris where you're like, what would Chris do in my life? Is there something that you take with, with you from her? 
Absolutely. Chris has several quotes that I really um, responded to. And Chris's number one quote is that if someone says no, then you're talking to the wrong person. Right. I know people so, you know, and I've been that person that is like, oh, I guess it's no. I guess I better give up. Like she's like, no. Yeah. No, Chris um, famously um, called Anna Wintour's office every single day for three months to get Kim and Kanye on the cover of Vogue. And it worked. Chris yeah. wears people down. And she's a very good salesperson. She really, she knows everything she, there is to know when she's going into a meeting. Every, I've talked to a lot of people who have been in negotiations with her. And Chris is not like just some celebrity who's the face of an app and goes and sits in a room with some smart people and lets them talk over her. Chris is running this empire. Chris is earning her 10%. Yeah. And and that is why, and I've kind of, I mean, Chris likes the attention, but, you know, after her, her talk show, which was a massive, you know, catastrophe, um, I think that she kind of realized, let me take a little bit of a backseat. She's, a, she's still on the show, but she understands, she likes the attention, but Chris is really you know, knows that, that her daughters are the, the ones that people really want to see. So she's, and she's a proud mom. She's constantly posting about her kids, which I mean is also part of her job because she's their manager. But you can tell there's a lot of pride in that. Like when she stands at the top of the stairs at the Met Gala and she takes pictures of her daughters walking up the stairs, there are 400 photographers getting those photos that they can get tomorrow. But Chris is a proud mom. Yeah. And with some people in that world, you feel like, they just are sick of it and they'd love to leave. I don't get that with them. I feel like they're in, they're in They're This is, you, well, yeah. Cause what else, what else are they going to do? <laughs> exactly. I mean, they've got, they, they've got a lot of business ventures. They are got more money than they will ever know what to do with. Yeah. And they're busy, they're busy raising children. So, but I, I think, like I said, there is no greater narcotic in the world than fame and, uh, and the attention that comes with that. So they're not letting go of that anytime soon. I'm looking at the list of the other people that you've done. Uh, Ivanka Trump, Andy Cohen, Martha Stewart, Anna Wintour, Calvin Klein, Andy Warhol. Um, have uh, Some of these are no longer with us, but have you ever heard from any of them? Have any of them come to the shows? Have you heard from their camps? Well, I, I just met Martha Stewart two nights ago, which was pretty cool. I We're saw that cool. on your Instagram. So you know yeah. you're going to have your moment with her. What is your strategy? Well, I went to go. She was being interviewed by Fern Malice, who's a really famous um, um, figure in the fashion world. She created New York Fashion Week, and she does this series of talks. Uh, It's called Fashion Icons. And Martha Stewart, who's normally not considered a fashion icon, but she does sell clothes, um, she did this, like, hour-and-a-half-long, you know, decade-spanning conversation with her. And then towards the end of it, oh, and Fern invited me because, um, you know, she's come to my shows and she's great. And um, towards the end of the talk, she said, have you seen the Ryan Raftery show at Joe's Pub? And then Martha immediately was like, no, I didn't go see it. I was like, and I gasped, not only because she mentioned my name, I didn't know she was going to, but I could not believe that Martha wasn't like, who? Like, she immediately knew who I was. And she said, I didn't go see it because I was told I wouldn't like it and blah, 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 blah. And um, I had heard that when I did the show initially. And um, so when I met her, I said to her, I said, I just want you to know that the show is written through the prism of an ardent fan and I hope you'll come see it. And she told her assistant to get my um, information and I'm doing the show again this February in um, at Joe's Pub. I'm doing my Anna Wintour, Martha Stewart and Chris Jenner shows in repertory night after night after night. Yes, Tickets it's called now. your uh, Titans of Media Trilogy, a female empowerment. Of media, yes, a female empowerment. Sorry, I was talking, speaking over you. That's okay. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about that. And Anna Wintour um, has gave me a pair of her sunglasses to auction off for a, a Trevor Project fundraiser I was doing. And then two of my friends bid on them and without without me knowing and then gave them to me. So now when I perform the Anna Wintour show, I'm wearing Anna Wintour's sunglasses. That's an amazing thing. First of all, a very nice thing of your friends to do. Very cool of Anna to do. And it's very fun to know that when the audience is looking at them, those are the real things. Yeah. Wow. And um, yeah, and uh, Andy Cohen sent me flowers, which was very nice. Um, actually, they've all I've heard that they've all all of them except Andy Warhol are alive. And um, yeah, I've heard somebody who knew somebody said that Ivanka knew about it. But, you know, she laughed. Calvin Klein is a very famous um, person for not liking attention. And I know that his daughter commented to someone I know about it. But whatever. I mean, my shows are never uh, mean but the, Don, the the Donna Karen in my Calvin Klein show I had 
that was um it was based on loosely on Swan um Black Swan that right. the movie with Natalie Portman and instead of Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman in the world of ballet my Calvin Klein musical was Calvin Klein and Ralph Lauren in the world of fashion and my show is about Calvin being obsessed with the idea that Ralph is trying to steal from him and it's driving him crazy and then one night Calvin's cleaning lady comes into his studio and he's working late and she says oh uh, those are nice designs I wanted to be a designer and Calvin gets an idea what if there was another fashion designer out there, an American fashion designer who can throw Ralph off of his scent. And he says to the cleaning lady, you want it to be a fashion designer? And she goes, yeah. He says, what's your name? And she goes, Donna. He says, Donna what? Donna Karen. And then that got into the New York Times, which is obviously a joke. I was making a joke. Donna Karen was not really Calvin Klein's maid. Right. But people were people were contacting Donna Karen saying, I never knew you were Calvin Klein's maid. And she's <laughs> like, what? So that's kind of fun. That was a kind of cool thing that happened. Sorry, Donna. Has anything ever come back and been like, ooh, maybe I went too far? Because your stuff has teeth, which I really love, um, but it's all in good fun. But you know what I'm saying. Did anything ever get misconstrued or somebody's feelings hurt? Anyone storm out? No one ever stormed out, um, but because they, they, none of them have ever come. The closest I've got is Anna Wintour's daughter came and Martha's CEO came twice. But I think that Martha might not like the way that my – I depict her relationship with her daughter, which is, you know, based on things her daughter has said. It's been a little weird. Sure. I, I think that's the reason why Martha was probably told not to come and see it. Um, the Andy Cohen show was kind of just about um, a, a guy who really just wanted to be famous and was a programming executive who gave himself his own talk show. But um, I, I don't think that was that very mean. Yeah, but, um, I know. I did watch one of the clips from the Andy Cohen show and it's where I guess he's doing one of the reunions, one of the housewife reunions. And you could tell that his, in your show, his goal is to keep the drama going no matter what at all costs. And I thought yeah. there was something about it. And he's singing, we are a family. Is it from dream girls? Oh yeah. Trying to get dream the housewives to stay in line. And I was like, yeah, and, yeah. There's something about it that rang really true. Um, well, yeah, I mean, he in that in that particular moment in the show, Kim Richards has said that she's like five days sober or something. And then she's saying, like, you know, we have to stop. Everything is getting out of control. People are starting to, like, die now when one of the housewives of Beverly Hills husband committed suicide. That's really happened in real life. And then Andy, um, to try to convince her to stay in line, he gives her. Um, a glass of vodka and then puts a straw in it and puts it under her under her mouth. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that he likes to stir the pot. I think that's what we like to see. And people cannot complain about that. Like, you know, when, people, when you go on the show and they say, oh, my edit was this or my edit was that, that's what you're going on that show to do. I mean, reality shows we know are not just, it's not like Big Brother. They don't, there's not just a camera up on the, on the ceiling and it's just recording in real time. They're editing these characters together and you know, like you can't blame them for doing that. It's reality television. It's entertainment. When you go to, to do shows as yourself, do you find that the, the these shows kind of come with you? Like, can you just say, can you just do a serious cabaret and be like, I'm going to sing Children Will Listen from Into the Woods? Or are people waiting for the joke? I don't do, I don't do shows as me anymore. Yeah. How do you feel I'm about really that? I'm, I'm not really interested in it. Like, I don't think that I have anything... Um, my mom is always saying like, oh, why don't you do, because I used to do like Christmas shows as me. Yeah. And I think the last one I did, I think was maybe like four years ago. And it's just like, I always think like, if you're going to do something, do what you're great at. Like, you know, I think that like, this is, this is what I do really well. Like there are enough um, cabarets like, and, I, and I just, yeah, I just, I don't have any interest in it. And I think that if I don't have any interest in it, I have no business getting on stage and doing it. Yeah. I like doing characters. I like, I like being able to put on a costume and like, and um, play somebody else. Um, this is kind of a related question, but not really. I, um, I host this show out here called The Mismatch Game, with, which is like the Snatch Game. And we were doing a little thing the other day, and one of my actors, Tom Lanks, said he got his beautiful Zoe Deschanel wig from Amazon for like $25. Has Amazon changed the game for people that do things like what you do? Absolutely. I got all, every single bit of costume from the Martha Stewart musical from Amazon. And, and, every and, single thing. Wow. And you just order it, and if it doesn't work, you send it back, and da-da-da. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I bet all the jewelry, all the jewelry for the Chris Jenner musical came from Amazon. Yeah, and the wigs were no joke. I'm like, that wig is amazing, and it was twenty five dollars. I mean, 
Yes. Yeah. It's ruining mom and pops, but man, you can't beat it, can you? You can't beat it. <laughs> um, are you going to do Mariah Carey? I saw a tease on your Instagram. That's what I want to do. That's the plan. That's the plan to do Mariah next. I, she's fascinating to me. I did, she's somebody that I researched a lot and wrote a lot about. I, I like her. I was never a super lamb with her music, um, but I've come to really like her. I also enjoy how she kind of phones it in sometimes and people oh, yeah. are carrying her around on Shay's lounges and she might go to a sound shack. I don't know, maybe not. But I think yeah. there's, and I like how she sort of owns Christmas now. Um, mm-hmm. If you were to tell the world we can have Santa Claus or the Mariah song, but not both, I think we'd be like, bye, Santa. We'll, yeah. we could, we'll do without you this year. That song, yeah, that song is, I mean, it's everywhere around starting soon, but um, it's a great song. It's that's a what great I want song. song. You cannot deny it. It's a great yeah. song. And um, that's what I want my show to be about. It'll be about the writing session that created it because the two people who have ownership of that song have very different ideas about who contributed what. That's the the interesting part of it. That's the drama. One of my Mm -hmm. favorite things about watching your clips on YouTube is to watch the faces of your band and your backup singers because they're playing it straight, but you could see the twinkle in their eye of like the mischief of the whole idea and the weird shit you're saying and what's and happening the funny thing is, is that usually the, the clips on YouTube, those are usually opening nights. So that's the first time. I mean, the band gets rehearsed for the music, but they never hear the script until the performance. Yeah. So they're experiencing it for the first time with the audience. And yeah, I've heard that before. People love watching them react to it. Which well, is because fine. you could tell they're dying and they're, 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 they're very amused by what's happening, but there's also a, an absurdity to some of it. And they're, they're like some of their lines, like that echo yours. They're like, here we go. We're, I guess we're singing about this. It's, yeah. it tickles me to see that. Um, in the Martha Stewart show, is it true that you fold a fitted sheet? Is that part of the, yep. I bet that took practice. I did. It took me three months to learn how to do, but I knew I was going to have to exact some sort of Martha Stewart skill on stage. And um, that was it. I couldn't Boom. cook anything on stage. So I knew that I was going to have to fold a fitted sheet. And um, yeah, the crowd literally goes wild for that. That's nuts. Wow. I bet, well, everyone wants to know how to do it. And everyone, occasionally we all decide we're going to learn how to do it. And then maybe we watch one video and then it just goes to hell. Have you kept it up? Can you still do it? Do you still do it good? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Once you learn how to do it, you'll never forget how to do it. And did you yeah. learn from watching a Martha video or how did that happen? It, I did learn from watching a Martha video, but um, it was it was very hard for me to do because the person Martha had an expert on and they were doing it together. But I'm left handed and I was getting it wrong. I had to I had to switch around what they were doing in order to really um, get it. But now I can do it. I can I can do it very easily. I do it all the time when I do laundry. Who else intrigues you? Like, I feel like Gwyneth could be in there, but Gwyneth doesn't have the desperation that like these people are strivers. They want to. What if this is a little yeah. too, it came too easy person, or something? A person who I would love to do, but I would never do it is Roger Ailes. I, I'm fascinated by Roger Ailes, but I don't think that my audience would want to see me as Roger Ailes. <laughs> um, but I think that he is, that's a fascinating guy. I do not agree with him. I am not a fan of Fox News, but what he has accomplished and how he did it is just so ripe for drama that it would be it would be great, but I'm not going to do it. But um, I when when I was asked last this time last year when I was doing the Andy Warhol musical about what I wanted to do, I said Roger Ailes or Mariah Carey. Yes, well maybe they do. You you do one. You do those two back to back. Maybe there's some overlap. Um, you lived in L.A. for a while, right? Uh-huh. What was mm-hmm. it like? You know, pursuing um, this some- kind of uh, this kind of career out here for you. Yeah. Um, I made some lifelong friends that I'm, you know, still friends with. I loved that aspect of it, but I, I mean, I grew up in New York city, so I knew I was always going to come back. And, um, I only, I only started doing this kind of show here when I got back and started writing. Um, I never thought that I was a writer until I had to start writing to get myself on stage and, you know, um, because I wasn't getting cast in the things I wanted to get cast in. So lucky in that respect. But your writing is so smart. Like it's so nuanced and smart and, do you find when you're writing parodies where you're like, I, you come up with something, you're like, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It seems like you have high standards for like your parody lyrics and your lines. It feels like it, these are not thrown together, slapped together scripts. It feels like you labor over them. Absolutely. They are not slapped together at all. They are, um, 
I mean, a lot of a lot of I mean, this is I'm going to sound conceited, but a lot of jukebox musicals are checkers. And I think my shows are chess. I think there's more there's more thought put into it. Um, there's, I do, they're scripted musicals. They're not, I mean, they're cabarets cause I play in spaces that normally host cabaret acts, but, um, but yeah. And I try never to do anything that's too on the nose when it comes to my parodies. Like I, when you do things like this and I'm sure it's happened to you too, you get a lot of friends who are like, Oh, you should do this. You should do this song. I'm like, I'm like, no, uh-uh, it's a little too on the nose. Like I always like to have it a little bit of, like you said, like a little bit more nuance. Do you get recognized much from people that see your shows? Sometimes. I mean, yeah, I mean, I get oddly, I get recognized in Provincetown. Like I've been the last three summers I've been there. That was very cool. I've been waiting. I was waiting online to go into a show and someone said, Anna Wintour, I love that show or whatever. I mean, it happens sometimes in New York. I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm, I mean, definitely not at the point where I can't walk down the street, but I'm always obviously very flattered when anybody comes up to me and tells me they love my shows, which is very cool. Well, I ask because you're always in, you always look like somebody else. You don't often look like yourself on stage. So people could right. come to your show, see you afterwards and not know it's the same person. Especially Chris Jenner. Yeah. Which show of yours has, has been the most popular? Has it really captured the imagination the most? Martha. Martha. Interesting. Yeah. It was, it was the most successful in every way. Wow. Cre- you feel like creatively, critically, box office, all of it. Um, yeah. I mean, just the, the amount of shows we did, um, the first time I ever did a show where I felt the the excitement of the audience from backstage, people just love her. People lo- like really love Martha Stewart. She has a real connection to people on a deep level. Kara Swisher recently did an interview with her and they went to the house and they interviewed her. And I was like, Martha Stewart is fascinating. Like she's very entrepreneurial. She's very curious about things. She will very go to a class and sit in the back and just learn stuff. Like she's one of a kind. Like she's very uniquely herself and then there's the snoop dog of it all like there's just a lot going on um, I love her. do you have a jail section i would imagine yes there's an entire there's a there's a song and yeah it's a, there's a whole like i think it's like a um, 12 minute section of the show i love that um oh, it's so fun. you are also in law and order and i feel like if you're a new york actor and you're not in law and order by a certain point in your career i think it kind of says something doesn't it well, I mean, yeah, I don't know if it says something, but I mean, I don't. It's kind of hard to avoid. Was it fun? I, mean, I, love, I love doing it. It was cool. You were into it. I well, yeah, absolutely. It's like it's a it's such a well oiled machine. You will never be in and out of a job faster than Law and Order. Boom, boom. Which one were you on? I was on SVU. Wait, did you get Chris Maloney FaceTime? I was on it. I was on it twice uh, as two different characters, and yeah, my scene was with Chris Maloney the first time. And with Ice Cube the second time. Oh, nice. A double web. My uh, Chris Maloney, I bet, would like shake your hand and say, I see. I see. One of the ices. I bet Chris Maloney kind of makes you feel good about being there. Um, Is he nice to the guest stars? He's all business. He was very nice, but but everybody on that set wants to go to lunch. That is a very, very, very very well oiled machine, and you are in and out. And, and And I wasn't, you know, I was a guest star. Like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I was just standing in the background. Like they, they shoot your ear coverage. They turn the cameras around. You do that. Boom, 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 boom. Sign here. Thank you. Boom. Catch, catch that check. Um, yep. What are you excited about in terms of doing your show in LA? I'm excited for the Kardashians to come. I hope that they show up. Oh, that would be amazing. But what I, I am such a, like, I don't like to upset people. So if like I'm you and I'm backstage and they're like, Kim's here. And so I think Chloe's parking the car. I'm like shitting in my pants. What are you, you're like all about it. I'm all about it. And I'm not, I wouldn't be nervous to perform it in front of them. I mean, Chris might be weird because it's her. Right. And there are some, but, but they have a great sense of humor about themselves and I would love it. I know that they know about it. And um, Chloe has comment posted about it on Instagram. So maybe they'll show up. I I mean, it would be a great episode of their show. Would be. Yeah, for sure. A great episode of your show. Is is that the one? I saw a clip maybe on Instagram or YouTube where you're doing a parody of She Used to Be Mine from Waitress, which is a great yeah. song. It's in the Chris musical, right? Huh? I love that song. Oh, it's so good. It's so wistful and full of regret. And oh, yeah. it's so it's powerful. It's a beautiful song. As soon as I heard it, I knew I wanted to use that in one of my shows. And I found a way to make it work for Chris. I love that. So yeah. you picked a question from the observation deck. Have you ever been starstruck? Yeah. Um, Barbara Streisand. <gasps> I got introduced to her after one of her concerts 
And that was like, um, her director, Richard J. Alexander comes to my shows and he's a friend and we were backstage and all of these celebrities were going in and out of Barbara's dressing room, like big, big, big celebrities. And he came over to me and a friend and, uh, he, and he was like, Oh, what's going on? I'm like, so when do we get to meet her? And I was joking. And he said, come on. And he brought me Cynthia Erivo, um, Norm Lewis, a bunch of people into this dressing room and Barbara, it was like perfectly lit. As you would imagine, she was still in her act two gown and she stood up and she had taken her shoes off. She was short and she like smiled. Like, who are you? Do I have to be nice? And then um, Richard J told her about my shows and she was like, wait a second, you do a show about Anna Wintour and Andy Cohen together. I was like, no, they're different shows. And I would love for you to come and see. <laughs> it was a very surreal moment. I can remember the way her hand felt like I, I floated home like three inches off the ground after that. Cause there are stars and then there are stars. Yeah. And she was, she was pretty cool. I was very starstruck. I, I wonder if you'll relate to this idea. I've always loved pop culture and divas, and I also love diva gossip that Barbara painted the microphone white on Oprah. And the older I get, I still enjoy the dishy stuff, but I'm just so glad that they exist. I'm so glad that they did the work. You know, like, I don't want to hear that she was a bitch at the restaurant. I just love Funny Girl. Like, the older I get, I'm more like whatever. Like I went and saw Janet Jackson at the Hollywood bowl. Like she could still do the moves. Like, yes. Like I'm Madonna, please that. don't die. I've got my tickets. I can't wait. Like, I guess I, I have more appreciation the older I get for these complicated, wonderful Ew. people. Is that something you relate to? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely, I'm, I, I'm a huge fan of all of like, the, especially the gay divas. I always want them to do well. And like, I, I hope, I mean, Madonna never puts on a bad show, so I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait. And I got tickets for Mariah Carey's Christmas show in, in New York, which is exciting. Oh, so good. She invented it. She owns it now. She does, and maybe she'll do a step. She probably won't do one ounce of choreography. She doesn't need to. <laughs> she Somewhere doesn't need to. I, lo- I love some of them are such workhorses. Like, Beyonce is a workhorse. Like, and, like, and, like, Mariah's like, okay, <laughs> caviar, whatever. Um, exactly. Uh, but I love her. You got to love her. Um, let's tell people where they can see your show. It's October 19th and 20th at the Bourbon Room in Hollywood. And I think the website for tickets is bourbonroomhollywood.com. Does that sound right? Correct. Excellent. Yes, right. Uh, you should come and see it. And then you're doing, after that, you've got your trio. Yeah, and then the shows in New York are, um, they start on February 27th through March 14th. And you can, tickets are available at joespub.com. And that's Anna Wintour, Martha Stewart, and Chris Jenner musicals. I'm doing them in repertory for three weeks straight. To wrap it up, I really admire that you've created this thing, right? It's this place in show business that's yours. How do you feel? Do you feel proud about it? How do you feel about like, oh, this is my thing? Or does it feel constricting? Or like, how how do you feel about this sort of body of work and this kind of format, I guess, that you've created? I love it. I mean, I love that people even know who I am or care to talk to me like you. And it's just, it's great because it's something that I created. I wasn't um, getting jobs as an actor. So I was fortunate enough that I was able to write and created my own opportunities. And it's, um, of course, it's exciting when people see the shows and they, they get what I'm trying to say. And it's, uh, or when you write a joke in your room and then you stand on stage and people laugh at it, you're like, wow, like, you know, like that's, Creation is a very exciting thing. And if you're able to experience it, that's a very, that's a blessing. Well, I'm inspired by it. I love that idea of like, you know what? The path wasn't opening. So I just created my own thing. Very Chris yeah. Jenner, very Chris Jenner of you in a way. Don't dream it, be it. <laughs> yes. Awesome. It was really fun talking to you, Ryan. Thank you so, so nice much. To meet you you Thank as well. Thank you so much for talking to me. I'm, I'm going to come see the show. I'm going to love it. And uh, hopefully I will be in the same audience with the Kardashians. Thank you so much again. All right. Awesome. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Ryan Raftery. If you're in LA, go see his show, Mother of the Year, the Chris Jenner musical at the Bourbon Room in Hollywood on October 19th and 20th. You can learn about that at bourbonroomhollywood.com. Also follow him on Instagram, Ryan Raftery. See what he's up to. He's coming back to New York with his shows. Just, uh, it's a delight. There's a lot of fun stuff there. All right, so this happened. Um, I want to tell you about a couple of museum things that I did. Um, I had some friends in from out of town, and we went to the Academy Museum to see the new John Waters exhibit. And we got there on the second anniversary of the museum, so it was free, which was really nice. 
And um, the John Waters exhibit is really cool. It's a whole floor uh, of the museum, and it sort of takes you chronologically through his career and the different films. And um, I realized that I'd seen most of them. There may be a few that I haven't seen. But my favorite part about it was seeing the original costumes from Hairspray, like seeing that bug dress and seeing something that Divine wore. And they have the mannequins that kind of are shaped like the people. And it's just like, wow, those are the real costumes. And they had such, they're part of pop culture. And they led to a stage musical and a movie. And like, it, it was just really cool. They did a really good job. So if you're in L.A., go check that out. The other thing I did is um, my friend Danny and I went to the Keith Haring exhibit at the Broad. And I had seen Keith Haring's art for years. Um, I remember in the 90s, it was everywhere. Like every AIDS dance-a-thon flyer was a Keith Haring piece. And I knew that he was in New York. I knew that he was gay. Uh, I knew when he died of AIDS, like that was that was a big deal. But his his art was everywhere. But I didn't really know his story until I went to this exhibit. And I was just so moved by it. I, I got a little... Got a little emotional. You know when I really broke down and cried? Have you noticed I cry very easily? Um, But after it was over, I went to the gift shop and I read the entire children's book that his sister had written. And it just talked about how he just wanted to draw all the time. Like he would just keep drawing no matter what. That was his thing. It was almost like a compulsion. And there was this great clip from the news with Dan Rather where Keith Haring was going into New York subways and doing art on these black, you know, sort of walls where there was supposed to be a poster, but there wasn't. So he would create art and then he would go to the next subway and he didn't even know what he was going to do until he got there and started using, you know, the chalk. And there were these white drawings on black and occasionally he would get arrested. But his whole sort of philosophy around his art was that it belonged to everybody. Like he sold to big collectors. He probably made a lot of money, but he was very generous with his art and his money he thought it belonged to everybody. It should be everywhere. That you shouldn't have to be rich and you know an elitist to to experience art. And he really lived by that credo. And I found that very moving. He was very sex positive about his work. Very very queer. But he also like worked with kids and did projects where kids were there. And he just was very generous. I think with his talent. And his spirit, and uh, I was very, very moved by that. So if you're in L.A., go see the Keith Haring exhibit at the Broad, and maybe bring a little Kleenex. I could have used some. (laughs) Um, All right, the other thing I want to mention is I also went to the Griffith Park Observatory in L.A. for the first time in 30 years. I hadn't been there. Um, I had some friends in from out of town. It's glorious to be there. I was really surprised by how good it felt to be up there. You really do feel like you're up above the city. I know when I travel... I like to find the place with the best view. Even if it's touristy, I'm like, where's the best view? I like to get an overview. And this felt like one of those places you would go to in Rio or yeah, when I was in Mexico City, I went to a few places like that. It was like, oh, we're above it all. And there's so much greenery around. And it was just beautiful to be there. And it was it's free to get in. And so anyway, I've been sleeping on the Griffith Park Observatory. And if it's listening, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, those are my three sort of cultured outings uh, from the last few weeks, and they were all a big thumbs up. All right, that's enough for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye! Bye!